like you to turn over to the book of First Corinthians. As you know, we have been really focusing. Oh yeah, if the, I'm sorry. If the kids want to go to uh, have a kids class, if you want to go to the kids class, if the kids want to stay here, that's fine. Uh, a lot of kids really like to stay in here preaching, and we're glad to do that. Where's Maddie going? She told me before that she wanted to hear her grandpa preach. <laughs> Maddie, want to grand? Maddie, want to hear grandpa preach? Is that a yes? Maybe I had to preach on parents not letting their kids hear Grandpa preach this morning. <laughs> Isn't it great to be saved this morning? I'll tell you what. And, and I'll just tell you what. You folks are the greatest people in the world. I'm so looking forward to all this going on this week and for Saturday night and the fun time that you guys will all have. And we are just looking forward to the specialness of just having some good fellowship together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What we have been doing <clears throat> is when we started our church, we talked about, uh, went to the Bible, and we really started focusing on what the Bible says about building a church. So we went to the, the book of Nehemiah. And in the book of Nehemiah, it's a book there where it really talks about how to build a church. You wouldn't maybe think that being in the Old Testament, but uh, we explained all that and we went through it for, what, a couple of months and we looked at all of that. And then we wanted to, you know, we've got such a host of, of new Christians, uh, young couples, young singles, uh, you know, that uh, really have come into our church that just really want to learn how to be better husbands, better wives, better, uh, better Christians and, and develop their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or find a, a mate, you know, uh, in, you know, that is really loves the Lord and to build a relationship and just do it the way God wants it to be done. So we decided that we were going to talk about uh, how to build a relationship with the Lord. Now we were going to talk about, uh, you know, how to step by step. And we're going to walk through this thing all the way through. And uh, it's, a, it's an exciting study for me because it's a thing where I don't care how old you are in the Lord. I don't care how long you've been saved. Uh, it's good to go back and look at those things. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a number of places that are very interesting places to study. One of those places is a place called Bethel. And Bethel was a place where Jacob really got his life right with God. And the word Bethel means uh, bread. And it's, a, it's an incredible place in the Bible, and it's a place where every time Jacob got really despondent, every time where he really needed to have a refreshment of time with God, he would go back to Bethel. And it, for us in the Bible, it stands as a time that I don't care how long you're saved, I don't care how much you know about the Bible, all of us need to go back to Bethel at some time or the other. And I look at looking at this, you know, we, we've got some men and women in here that have been saved a long time, you know the Bible. Uh, we've got men in here that can preach the Bible, uh, and you know, women in here that can teach the Word of God and, and do a fair job of preaching, I mean, as far as laying the Word of God out. But uh, all of us. There, we need to go back to Bethel from time to time. And I look at this as for all of us. We've got young Christians that are trying to learn how to build a relationship with God, and I want to meet that need. I, I've told you time and time again, uh, you, you don't have to be a member of our church uh, for this to happen. I will spend an hour a week with anybody in the Bible helping you learn the Bible if you so desire. 
and uh, you can come over to my house and we'll sit down, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll go through the Bible. You can ask any question you want to ask. I'll, I'll work through any problem with you. I'll help you. Uh, however, if you're a young Christian and you really want to desire a relationship with God, that's the best offer I, I know that I can give you. I, I'm that concerned about uh, your relationship with God. And very frankly, that's my job as pastor is to uh, take care of your spiritual needs. So uh, that offer is always on the table. I always, don't always say it every week, but I'm telling you today, you know, we've got a lot of visitors here today, and I just want you to know, I'm here for you. That's my job, and we, we enjoy the Word of God together. So I look at this time in the Word of God as, as going back to Bethel. And I know also that in, in building a relationship with God, the first thing you have to do is define some things. And we've been doing that. We've been talking about different aspects of the Christian relationship and defining different things. And a couple of weeks ago, we started a study on the judgment seat of Christ. Probably, without a doubt, the most important doctrine for any Christian anywhere. Because that doctrine is something that uh, is really very important as far as, uh, you know, your relationship with God. And we've talked about how that the, how that the world, you know, has really lost uh, its uh, understanding of that. And because of that, uh, Christians today don't understand that someday they're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to give an account. Two days in the Bible, we talked about, we defined them. The first one's the day of the Lord. That's the second coming of Christ. The other one is the day of Jesus Christ, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. So I want to begin reading again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, let's come down through here, and then we'll, we'll get into the final part of our, our series on this this morning. He says, For we are labors together with God, for ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day uh, shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple uh, ye are? Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are in vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Father, again, we come to you today, and we ask you to take this time that we have set aside to look into your word. We thank you for the folks that are here today, and may something be said today that challenges their heart. And Lord, if today there's someone here that does not know you as their own personal Savior, may through the preaching of the word of God today, uh, may something uh, ignite their soul that they see and understand uh, what the Lord has done for them. Thank you, Father. Bless us now, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, last week we started coming down through this, and we talked about how the fact that the Bible says we are laborers together, that this church, as any church, uh, its success will be its cohesiveness, how it works together as a team. And the Bible says that we're to be a wise master builder in verse 10. 
It also says that when a man gets saved in verse 11, that he lays a foundation. That foundation, verse 11, is Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says that the rest of our lives we build on that foundation uh, three things. Three things that are good or three things that are bad. We talked about the wood, the hay, and the stubble last week. Dead things for dead Christians. And the Bible says there's coming a day when the day is going to declare the things that we have done. Now, it would be ridiculous to think that God would save us uh, without any purpose or plan. God has a plan. God has a purpose and God has a plan. God didn't make earth and make people on it just because he didn't have anything to do and he just wanted to kind of put something in motion. God has a plan. You know that plan if you have your chart. We, we talked about it on Thursday night Bible study and I would be glad to go through with anybody that wanted to really understand it. But God has a plan. He saved you to be part of that plan. Simply stated is this. The judgment seat of Christ is there because God is going to reward men and women who get saved and find out what God's plan is and then the rest of their lives lend themselves to that plan. Now, that's what churches are all about. We are here today because we recognize that God has a plan. We're here today because we want to help God fulfill that plan. Jesus said, he said, I am the light of the world. But then he also said, ye are the light of the world. Because he was going back to heaven... And when he went back to heaven, he left us here as the church as an ongoing proponent of uh, putting out the gospel that we might fulfill God's plan. That's what this church is all about. That's what your life is all about. But we want to talk about building on this foundation. And very, very simply, you know, somebody says, well, what does it mean to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? More important, how do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's simple. You know, I, I, my whole ministry, my whole life is to take complicated things and break them down where you can understand it. And I can tell you the, the secret of a successful Christian life or what it is real easy. It's not hard. You don't have to go buy anybody's book. You don't have to go to any seminar or seminary or, or you know, spend all, you know, I, I've met people in my life, you know, that for, for 40 years I, I'd talk with them and they would say, and I asked them what they're doing. They say, well, I'm, I'm on a search for God, you know, for 30, 40, 20, 30 years, you know. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't take that long. I can give you today exactly what God wants you to do because if God is going to judge us at the judgment seat of Christ, if He is going to judge us, I mean, if He gave us a plan and He gave us a Bible that tells us about that plan, and then God is going to judge us someday whether we fulfill it or not, do you really think God would make the plan tough? Man makes it tough. In fact, and I'm going to talk about this next week, not only is the judgment seat of Christ laid out in the Bible of what to expect, but it's also laid out in the Bible the questions God's going to ask at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not like have to take a big test and then somebody giving you the answers before you have to take the test. How can you fail that? Well, you have to really be stupid to fail it. How can you, how can you show up at the judgment seat of Christ and not get everything that God wants for you? If you, if you find yourself there and you find yourself losing all your rewards, it will not be because God made it hard. He gave you a Bible, He gave you preachers, He gave you churches, He gave you the Spirit of God to show you everything and then told you not only how to do it, but told you what He was going to ask so you would know what to target on. Let's face it, life is an investment. Life is an investment. 
For you and for me, and we've talked about this before as a Christian, life is an investment. And you either invest your life in the right things and come out greater than the judgment seat of Christ, or you invest your things, your life in the wrong things, and you will lose your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. It's as simple as that. I'm simply going to show you today what you need to do the rest of your life once that you're saved. First, you recognize that you are a building. The Bible says you're God's temple. And the Bible says you're to be a wise master builder. The Bible says that no other foundation can a man lay which is laid with Jesus Christ. And the day you get saved, you lay that foundation. The rest of your life, you are to build upon that foundation three things. Three things. Forget the wood, hay, and stubble. We know those are the wrong things. We talked about that last week. Today, I want to focus on the three right things that you need to build. And if you understand this and you do this, you will have an unbelievable relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? The first thing he says is gold. Gold. Now, I don't know what you know about the Bible, but gold in the Bible stands for the deity of Christ. Gold in the Bible stands for the deity of Christ. In our own society, gold is the highest standard. We talk about the gold standard, or we talk about gold, you know, finding gold. And, and it's, it's, it never loses value, it always goes up in value, because it's the world standard. You talk about in credit card world, getting a gold card uh, the, at the Olympics, or whatever you're in, uh, to go for the gold, to win the gold medal is, is the number one thing. In our own society, gold, without a doubt, is the highest standard that we can have. Well, in the Bible, gold represents the highest standard that God has. That's His deity. If you would go back and look at the Old Testament, they build what they call the ark. The ark was made with wood. But it was overlaid with gold. That represented the wood, Christ, humanity. When Christ came in the flesh, He was human. But overlaid with gold represents the fact that not only was God human, but He was God, and it represented His deity. You'll find a little bit later on <clears throat> when they're into the land and they build the temple, Solomon's temple. That whole temple is overlaid with gold. I read a book one time a number of years ago that was written in 1950. It was written by a saved architect that worked for the New York uh, Architectural Society or whatever. And he was a Bible believer. And <clears throat> he took the dimensions of Solomon's temple back here. And in 1950, he said that to overlay that with gold <clears throat> would take about 171 billion dollars in gold that was by 1950 standards man that's almost 100 years ago i mean that's that, that what would it be today 50 years later 50 some years later the bible says that new jerusalem is the city of gold that the whole city is overlaid with gold because gold in the bible <coughs> represents represents your relationship with god in the sense of getting to know who he is when you get saved you met Christ as your Savior. After that, you get to know Him as your best friend. The Bible says that in Matthew chapter 22, that we are to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Now, how do you do that? How do you come to the place in your life where you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all of your soul? That seems like a tough thing to do. <clears throat> well, let me tell you, there's a process. The process, first of all, is get to know who he is the first thing you lay on that foundation is gold you get to know who he is <clears throat> I, I told you before and I give you a little 
tidbits all the time, and, and, and most of you pick up on them. I mean, maybe you all do, but you all don't say anything. But I told you before. I say, you know what? <clears throat> when God wrote the Bible, He wrote it very directly. And He wrote it that everything in it means something. So when you start coming through the Bible, and <clears throat> you're a young Christian, and you say to yourself, <clears throat> I want to walk with God. I want to have a walk with God. I want to learn to walk with God. And you start reading through the Bible, you find in the Bible there's only two men. The Bible says walk with God. Now, I gave you this before, but I'm, I'm making a point here. Now, did other men walk with God? Certainly they did. Why did God pick two men that He would state in His Word that they walked with God? When there were many other people that probably did walk with God. I'll tell you why. Because if you want to study what you've got to have in your life to walk with God, study the lives of those two men. The Bible says about two men in the Bible, only two. That they were God's friend. Now, <clears throat> were there other men in the Bible and women in the Bible who were God's friend? Certainly. Why did the Bible pick just two people that if you wanted to learn how to have a relationship with God, that He is your friend. Oh, <clears throat> and in their life, you know, we think the relationship with God that we should have is, is, is so pious and so spiritual to the place where, you know, the Bible says that God wants to be your friend. The Bible says that God wants you to talk to Him and be with Him like your best friend. And can you say anything to your best friend? Surely. Can you get... Upset with your best friend? Absolutely. But in all of that, it's, it's never a case where that person is not my best friend. That's the way it is with God. You ought to look at these two men's lives and see how one of them is Moses. <clears throat> you ought to study the life of Moses. And the Bible says about Moses that Moses spoke with God like a man speaking with his friend face to face. You ought to see the relationship that Moses had with God. It's incredible. And if you'll study, I'm only going to give you one. You have to study the other one on your own. But if you just get that one guy, Moses, and look at your life and what kind of relationship they had. From the very beginning, Moses alibying with God about not wanting to go before Pharaoh and arguing back and forth and God talking with him just like you would talk to your best friend. Well, there's places in there that after the children of Israel come out that the children of Israel are always in the problems. Always into problems. And uh, it's so funny to see this. And, and it, when you look at it, it shows you what kind of relationship Moses had and what kind of relationship that you could have. One day, Moses comes in and he says, God, I'm so fed up with these people. They won't do what's right. They don't listen to me. They're the mess and all, the biggest bunch of jerks in the world. God, why don't you just go down and kill them all? Mo God says, now Moses, now Moses, come on now. You know that they're a stiff-necked and a hardened people. You know, but you know also that they're my people, and I picked you to be the leader. Now, come on, Moses. You've got to get a grip on things, and you've got to do this thing. Moses says, okay. Two weeks later, God comes in. Moses, I'm going to wipe those people out. <clears throat> I'm going to kill them. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy them. They have profaned my name. I'm going, to, I'm going to wipe them out to the ends of the earth. And Moses says, come on, Lord. Don't you remember all the promises you made to them? Don't you remember? And he goes through that thing, and God says, Okay, Moses, you're right. Now, you may think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a relationship with God that you can have. Moses spoke to God face to face. They had a relationship. 
They had a friendship. They both understood the purpose. And no, for a moment, I don't believe that God was weak. And God, I believe that God allowed Moses to have that kind of relationship with him. And I think it built him closer and, 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 and probably every other man in the Old Testament. But if you want to learn how to be God's friend, study Moses. Now, you know, in the Bible, there's only one man that says that had God's heart. If somebody says, I want to find out how to have God's heart, then you've got to study this guy's life. His name is David. <clears throat> you realize in the New Testament, <clears throat> in the New Testament, in the New Testament, there's only four people that Jesus says he loves. Did he love? Well, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Yeah, I understand that. <clears throat> but why did God pick four people? That he specifically said, I love them, when he loved everybody else. Why didn't the God of great love just say, I love it, I loved everybody, and put that preface? Because God wanted to show you, <clears throat> if you want to learn how to love God, and that's what we're talking about, getting to know who he is. If you want to learn how to love God, study these people's lives. One of them is Mary, one of them is Martha, one of them is Lazarus. Oh, what a study they are. And one of them is the Apostle John. The Apostle John. <clears throat> Do you ever notice the 12 apostles? You want to learn how to build a relationship with God? You want to learn how to build upon that foundation gold? I'll tell you how. Look at the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles, really, they represent Christianity. You have 12 of them. One of them is a phony, Judas. We know that in, in most Christian circles, <clears throat> not everybody that says they're saved is probably saved. Within that 12, one was a phony. There were only three that really, if you look at the study and study their lives, there's only three that really experienced the power of God more than the rest of them. Peter, James, and John. On the Mount of Transfiguration, it's Peter, James, and John. When the great miracles are done, it's Peter, James, and John. You know what that shows me? That shows me out of all the Christianity, a minority is really going to build a relationship with God that counts. Everybody else too busy doing their own thing. Now out of those three, when it came down to the final act and the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on Calvary's cross, even in the inner three, two of them are missing. <clears throat> and there's only one man <clears throat> that goes all the way to the end, and that is the Apostle John, and he is the fourth man that Jesus says he loves. He is the only one that goes all the way. When Christ is hanging on the cross, when he's dying for your sins and for mine, where is John? Peter is denying him in the garden. James is running off down the road someplace. But John is at the feet of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, exactly where Mary is, and Mary and Martha, when you get into that whole study, he's got the proper place. That's where you and I should be. I, I know when, when Jesus is, is there and he's dipping the sop and he's saying, one of you will betray me. Oh, you got to look at this sometime. He says, one of you will betray me. And the Bible says, each one of them turn to Christ and say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? You know what John says? John says, Lord, who is it? He knew it wasn't going to be him. John is the only man in the Bible, the only man in the world, 
that does something that nobody else does but you can do. You know what he did? In John chapter 13, verse 25, the Bible says that he laid his head on the breast of Jesus, and by doing so, he heard the heartbeat of God. Now, there ain't any other man in the Bible. David may have been a man after God's own heart, and the only man to do that, but John not only was after God's heart, John heard something that even David didn't experience. He heard God's heartbeat. You know what it takes for you and for me to really do something for God? We are going to have to hear the heartbeat of God. How do you hear the heartbeat of God? Oh, I think about that thing of John laying his head down there on the breast of Jesus, man, in the quietness of that room. And I, I, I look at that scene and what it must have been and how that he, God pulled his head down to his bosom and he heard the very heartbeat of Almighty God. And I'm going to tell you something. For you to go all the way with Christ just like John did, for you to wind up through any trial and tribulation to be where God wants you to be, it's going to take the same kind of dedication. At some point in your life, you are going to have to hear the heartbeat of God. And the only way you do that is to lay on that foundation gold who he is find out who he is find out who he is get to know him get to know him get to know him as Noah got to know him as your friend uh, uh, walking with him get to know him as Moses got to know him as your friend get to the place where you can speak to God face to face Oh, we get the idea, you know, that we, we have to, when we pray, you know, we have to be so formal. When we have to, it's the position of our body and the folding of our hands and the bowing of our heads and the closing of our eyes. And we have to have a prayer that's such a formalized, oh, thou God of the mountains and the trees and the birds and the brooks and all those things. Let me tell you something. That's not what God, you wouldn't talk to your friend that way. Well, I find myself in the morning when I roll out of bed, first thing I say is, Lord, I, I, I love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the good night, Lord. And we just talk all day long. Driving down the road and see somebody over here and say, Lord, I, I pray for that person. Lord, I, thinking about what God is going to do. Getting up in the morning and <clears throat> going through your routine and thinking about the people that's God given you. God puts them in your mind and God bring people by. I'll be up in the morning and I'll, I'll think of somebody in this church and I'll say, God, pray for them. And God will bring somebody else and I'll say, Lord, pray for them. But it isn't a thing where, where, you, where you go turn out the light and you, know, and, you, and you get a little candle symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God, you know. And, and, and you just talk to God just like you talk to your friend. Well, I used to work out there, and I used to mark those power lines in the ground, you know. There's always a chance somebody's going to hit them and get killed. And you can mismark them. I mean, you don't want anybody digging into, you know, a power lines coming out of a transformer someplace. And it's easy to bleed. <coughs> Boy, I'll tell you what. I'd be out there, and I'd just say, Lord, make sure this is the right spot. <coughs> oh, okay, Lord, just make sure. Just keep me on this line here. Da -da 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 -da. Lord, the world is my parish. Well, here we go, Lord. Come on, don't let anybody get hurt because of me. And I'm like, in all the years I did it, I, didn't have any, I never had a damage. You know what I believe? I believe when you take God to work with you, things can go a lot better. That's what I believe. I believe you take God anywhere with you, things can go a lot better. But you know what that does? It builds a relationship. The only time you ever talk to God is when you, uh, you know, you go over to your parents for Christmas or Thanksgiving and somebody mumbles up one of them prayers or when you get into trouble, then you're never going to build a relationship with God. You need to learn to talk with him like a man speaks with his friend. John, study his life. John, all the way. There was no doubt in John's mind that he wasn't the man that God didn't want him to, that wanted him to be. It was an incredible thing. 
So he says, when you get saved, you lay a foundation. That foundation is gold. Gold represents who he is. Then the next piece of metal. He says, gold. Then he says, silver. See, all through the Bible, all through the Bible, gold represents the deity of Christ. But in the Bible, silver represents the price of redemption. And just as the first thing you have to lay on that foundation is gold and get to know Him, the second thing you have to build on it is silver. You have to get to know what He did for you. Silver. Silver. I told you last week that people have forgotten the cause. They've forgotten the cost. And they've forgotten the consequences. People have forgotten the cause. They don't know who God is. Therefore, they don't understand the purpose that God saved them for. They don't understand what God's doing. They don't realize how they fit into the program. God's people have forgotten the cause. And I'm going to tell you right on top of it, God's people have forgotten the cost. We don't understand what it costs for you and I to go to heaven. Where gold tells me who he is, the silver tells me what he did. The price of my salvation. Oh, when you go back there in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 3, it talks about how they redeemed the firstborn that came out of Egypt there. And the Bible says they redeemed them with silver. In Exodus chapter 30 verse 13, he talks about the amount of silver. Remember the story of Joseph back there in Genesis chapter 37 that when he was sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites who wound him up down in Egypt, he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. In Leviticus chapter 27, it talks, the, talks about the breakdown uh, for the silver paid for redemption. Oh, I want you to know, my dear friend, this morning that it costs something for you and for me to be here. It costs something for you and for me to have the relationship that we have with God. And I'll tell you what, just like little kids growing up, little kids become indifferent and they take things for granted. We as God's people, we get so successful, we have so many nice things, we have so many busy things in our life that we actually forget the price tag that came for you and for me being saved. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might become rich. Oh, the, the wealth of that verse. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service for you to give your life to Him once you understand that He gave His life for you. I'll make you one promise that I'll be as a pastor. And I say it all the time and I mean it. You'll never see me pushing you to give a lot of money. I grew up in churches where once a year they had stewardship banquets. You know what they were? They were kind of like a, that's a nice name for an arm-twisting ceremony to bring you in, feed you a meal, and then put a place card in front of you, and then have some high-priced dollar guy come in that'll work you over and make you feel guilty, and that you'll put down on that card, I'm going to give next year $10,000. And then my job as pastor, the rest of the year, make sure you get it in. 
Every Sunday, get up. Don't forget your commitment. Don't forget your commitment. Don't forget your commitment. You committed. Don't you give. Don't you forget this. And just beg and weep and do everything in the world to manipulate your emotions so you'll give to God. We don't have any offering envelopes. Well, I guess we do. But you don't want to put any money in it, take it home and you can send a letter to somebody. You know why? I don't ever want the emphasis to be on money. Never. 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 We're not going to ever have faith promise. That's another trick they use. They say, now what are you willing to trust God for in your giving? You're giving, you're giving 69 cents a day. What are you willing to trust God for? Will you have the faith to step out and claim God's promise that if you say I'm going to give a million dollars next year, God is God enough to bring it through. And people out there, and they get all oh, emotional. Oh, yeah, I want to do what's right. Oh, I want to trust God, all this. Oh, I'll sign. Put it down. Go. Not just a million. I want $10 million for me. Because if God can split the Red Sea and God can make the stars, He can bring $10 million and I'll give it at least another 69 cents back to God. Let me tell you something. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Your giving to God is purely needs to be based on how much you love Him. How much you love Him. The Bible says, if any man love God, the same is known of him. I'll never give you a commitment card. We'll never have a, spirit, a stewardship banquet. We'll never have faith promise. The bottom line is this. I'm going to, God, this church has needs. Everybody understands that. The bottom line is, you, you give whatever this book and whatever God and whatever this church and whatever this thing means to you, you give because you love him. Not because somebody's twisting your arm. That Bible says, if any man love God, 1 Corinthians 8, 3, the same is known of him. And you know what? It's just a fact of life. We give things to people whom we love. I mean, let's face it. Your wife's birthday's coming up, or your girlfriend's birthday's coming up, and it passes. You know how it goes. Get up in the morning, you know, and she's all bouncing around because it's a birthday, and you, you, you ain't figured out what's going on yet. You say, what with her, man? I mean, uh, she go bouncing around for it. It's your birthday. And she's thinking, she's thinking, oh, man, you know, I'll tell you what. It's a, it's a, it, it, he's, he's got a surprise. She's downstairs, you know, she's looking, kind of looking in the closet, you know, looking for that new whatever, you know, and she's, she's looking for the little, they like them little boxes that flip up, you know, and she's looking for something like that, you know, and she doesn't see it, but she's undaunted because she knows you, and she knows that probably sometime during the day while she's at home, a package is going to show up. Somebody special is going to show up at her door with some big deal that's just a, a knockout. And so she, she gives you a hug and kiss, fix your breakfast, puts you off to work, you know, and you're thinking, what in the world is her deal, you know? And she's around the house looking out the window, doing the car, looking out, oh, see the UPS truck, where's the FedEx man? Ooh, do, 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 do. And at about, about 3 o'clock, you know, by 3 o'clock I would be upset and be worried. Not her. You know what she's thinking now? She's thinking, oh, it wasn't a new clothes. That, he would have gave me that. One. It wasn't a ring. He would have gave me that before I left. It's now 3 o'clock in the afternoon and I haven't heard from him. Car. It's a car. It's a car. 
And oh boy, she's just walking around there, man, a car. Oh, he, he knows I like that little firebird over there, or that this or that that. Or he knows, and he like, oh, it's a car. And boy, by 4, 4.30, you come home at 5, she, she, she's going to drive it in. And he's going to put that parking lot. And I'm going to act surprised. And I'm just going to be sitting here, you know, in my June Cleaver clothes. And I'm just going to sit here, you know, and just kind of wait and let him come in. Boy, here comes 5 o'clock. She hears the car pull in. Ooh, she doesn't move, man, because she, she, she hears. She thinks she hears a different sound in the car, you know, and about that same time the neighbor's pulling in, you know, and all those things. And, and she sits there, you know, and oh, he comes in, you come in the house, and she says, hi, honey. And he says, hi, how you doing? She says, oh, I'm just fine. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, he's saying, what in the world is happening to her? And, and he's bounce around, and it, it, she says, well, it ain't coming now, but it'll probably be, oh, I know, my parents are going to bring it over tonight. And she fixed this great supper, and she does all this thing, and she's bouncing around, you know, and you're just saying, what is her deal? And she's thinking, oh, it's coming. You know what, for him to wait all day long it is going to be a big one and it may be it, it, it maybe it's two cars oh man i'll tell you what i bet it's a car filled with clothes i mean i'll tell you what it's just one of them things and boy about eight o'clock you know and then nothing's happened and she's saying well you know what he's so funny he's gonna let this thing happen before i go to bed oh he thinks he's got me <laughs> he's such a cutie <laughs> you know about that time you know you roll in the bed you know the lights go out you know and you're laying there and all of a sudden you hear <laughs> and you turn on the light and you say what was that and now she's she's come to the full realization no car no diamonds no clothes, no nothing. And she's hot. And you finally realize that it is her birthday. And so, men, what do we do? Now we're like Trent Green, who just got the ball snapped to him and realized that his line that was defending him went out for them big hot dogs with sauerkraut on it. And the whole other side of the team is coming after you. What do you do? You think quick. And you say something like, Oh, honey, come on. You know I love you. <laughs> Guys, let me ask you a question. Does that work? I got some news for you. Doesn't work with him either. You give because you love him. Simple as that. I'm not going to manipulate you. I don't care if you don't give anything. I don't care. I don't really care. But I know this. I know that in, in everything in life, when you understand who He is, and you realize what He done for you, it all comes natural. You see, God never intended your spirituality to be forced in any way. I won't force you to study the Bible. You know what I'll do? I'll work my tail off all week long to come up to preach to you and to give you something to excite you and illuminate you and give you something to just turn you on with the Word of God and let God's Spirit do the rest. And I'll say in token, I'll not get up here and put any pressure on you to give anything at all. You know what? I'll just teach you what Christ's done for you, who He is, and build on those three things. And you know what? The rest takes care of itself. You know what the truth of the matter is? And I know we take up an offering. And I know that you give. But let's be honest. If we really had to give back to him what it cost for him to give to us, we'd all come up short. That's why it isn't about the amount. It isn't about the amount. It's about what you got in here, and you give because you love him. 
You give because you love him. I know people that say, well, you give unto God. You give unto God. I, I, I saw a sign coming in a little church down here where it said, what you give to God today, he'll multiply to you tomorrow. Maybe not. But you see, that's a nice deal because we're all greedy. Well, who wouldn't give us today? We say, well, we give God 20. He's going to give me 40 on Monday. Let's go. <laughs> I'm for that. It's up the ante. Let's go. Wrong motive. You see, as much as knowing who he is, it's important to know what he did for you. What he did for you. What does it mean when you sing to him? Do you ever sing to him? I mean, people, I mean, you know, God is the greatest thing in the world of singing to because he didn't care how bad you sound. I mean, there's some people in here when I stand next to you and we're singing, I, I just move over there a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's rough, but I appreciate your heart. I just like to have a tape of you someplace or me someplace. I mean, I'll tell you what. But do, do, you, ever understand, do you understand why we sing? Do you understand why a woman likes love songs? You know why down in Latin America and those places that when you want to uh, date somebody, the first thing you do is get a little Maserati band, pay them a couple of pesos, and they go over on their thing and serenade her, and they tell her about somebody who loves her, and she doesn't even know who it is. And you're standing over there going, <laughs> now that's the way to do it. Well, music will always get to her. When you get one of them Latin guys down there singing, and she's saying, oh. This is so beautiful, beautiful. And he's saying, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's saying, oh, man, this is wonderful. And the guy, you're over there going, ah, yeah, yeah, over here. She says, oh, I love this guy. It works. We sing songs. We sing songs. I'm telling you. It's one of those things where every Sunday, Oh, every time we sing, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Whew. I'm telling you. I, I, when I survey the wondrous cross on whom the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. It says it. And when we sing, it just isn't on Sunday morning. When you know who He is and you understand what He's done for you, I'm telling you what, as the Bible says, He put a new song in my heart, even praise unto my God, and many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. Oh, boy. You ever do it? You ever driving down that old road someplace, man, no, no, nobody around? Oh, boy, and you're just down there, you just feel God in your heart. You think about something God gave you in the Word of God. Or you think about something God did for you. Boy, you're just driving down there, and all of a sudden, boy, up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners, death on the cross, that he might save them from endless loss. Oh, blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding. 
for sinners pleading. Ever say it? Oh, that, la that last verse. Oh, how I love him, Savior and friend. How can I praises ever find end? Through years unnumbered on heaven's shore, my tongue shall praise him forevermore. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading, binding unheeding, dying for me. The price. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. You see, that foundation you built, it was laid the day you got saved, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And the rest of your life, you build upon it gold. You get to know who he is. You build upon it silver. You get to know what he did for you. Somebody said, Bob, how do you win souls? Bob, I want to win people to Christ. How, how, do you, how do you come to the place in your life where you really, really, really become the soul winner that God wants you to be? You know, I, I saw, I went to a church one time and they had a seminar on soul winning. And I, I saw this guy had a book on how to, you know, win people to Christ and, and all of this. Bob, how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, you just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, precious stones is the next one. You know what precious stones are in the Bible? They're people. They're people. You see, it's real simple, folks. When you get to know who he is, and you get to know what he did for you, you just can't help but tell somebody else about it. You can't. You can't. You can't. Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about the book of remembrance and the people that God they put in that book. <clears throat> he says, they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spareth his son <clears throat> that serveth him. Zechariah 9 says, and the Lord their God shall save them in that day <clears throat> as the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown. And about the church, Proverbs 31 says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And then Matthew chapter 13 talks about the pearl of great price, that when a man found, he went and sold all that he had and bought that. That's Christ. That's Christ. That's Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones. Gold, silver, precious stones. Gold, silver, precious stones. I was talking to one of our visitors, Ryan, this morning that came there, and he's in the Navy. And, and Ryan, you know, when I was in the military, I actually saw a guy get the Congressional Medal of Honor. It was an incredible thing. One of the most profound things in my life. I stationed Fort Devon, Massachusetts. And, and on this day, it was an incredible thing. This guy had won the Congressional Medal of Honor over in Vietnam. And they brought him back over here, and they had a big deal about it, you know, and they, I'll never forget. I mean, the whole fort turned out. 
And I mean, I was standing there. Well, I could get a pretty good view of him. And it was all lined up, all the companies, you know, and the band was playing. And uh, everybody did, a, did a, all the generals were there. And, a, and somebody from the White House was there. And they did a passion review. And they come down through that thing. And boy, I tell you what, they called his name out. And all that rank of people, man, you saw this guy in a green uniform step out, walk down through this thing. He comes up here and he saluted, you know, and they saluted back to him. And then somebody over the loudspeaker, they read the citation, what this guy had done. And, you know, everybody just standing there. And then, boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, they, they took that blue metal boy, that ribbon around there, and they put it around his neck, boy, and that old general stood back and shook his hand and saluted. I never saw anything so s stiff and smart in all my life, boy. And I'll tell you what, there wasn't a guy in that place didn't have goosebumps running up down his back, man. I mean, it was an incredible thing. And I thought to myself, wow. What a day it's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. You know what? I have all the respect for military men in the world. I love them. We're doing it. We got a lot of military men in here. Guys been in the Marines. Guys been in the Army. Guys been in the Navy. Guys been in the Air Force. I have utmost respect for them, boy. And I tell you what, there isn't there isn't there isn't better guys in this world than anybody that'll lay down their life for the country. I all the respect in the world. A boy, a guy does something like that and saves people's lives, and this guy saved you know I don't know how many guys. It was an incredible thing. Incredible thing. And boy, they deserve it. But boy, you know, let me tell you something. There's a day coming. I never got a Congressional Medal of Honor. I never got anything. But there's coming a day, it's judgment seat of Christ. What a day it's going to be. When God calls your name out in front of the assembled universe. And there's all the angels. There's all the cherubim. There's all the seraphim. There's every saint saved from every place down, down through history. And he calls your name out and you walk down there in front of the king of kings. Because you recognized who he was and you recognized what he did and you understood that precious stones are likened to people. You know the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and other places, the Bible talks about there's five crowns you can get as a, as a believer. And one of the crowns is soul winning. <clears throat> and it's a thing, the indication is that for everybody you win to Christ, a jewel, as we've talked about in the Old Testament, goes into that crown. Now you say, well, you know, what good are those crowns? Why would you want all of that? I mean, uh, if it's all for the Lord. Well, wait, 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 wait. The Bible gives the indication in Revelation chapter 4 that when the Lord comes back and the whole thing's done before we go into eternity, that we take those crowns every, that represent everything we did and we walk up and we lay it at the throne at the feet of Jesus and say to him, Lord, I did it. Thank you for these crowns. Thank you for my millennial inheritance, but the truth of the matter is, Lord, I wouldn't have any if it wasn't for you. So here, I give them back to you. Whew. Now, I enjoy the aspect of crowns, but I don't really care about that. You know what I want? I want what I saw in Fort Devon, Massachusetts 35 years ago. I want, I want, I want before the assembled universe, I don't want a crown. I don't want a medal. I just want my Lord to look down at me and say, Bob, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Brother, you won't hold me down when that happens, man. And there ain't no reason why it can't happen in your life. It's all about what your goals are in life. It's all about building a relationship with Christ where it's gold, it's silver, and it's precious stone, other people. And I'm telling you, you can't get to know who he is without getting to knowing what he did. And you can't get to know who he is and what he did 
without telling other people about it. It just won't happen. In other words, everything in the Christian life that bring you to the place where you get everything you need at the judgment seat of Christ and stand there before him comes natural. There isn't one contrived thing you have to do. There isn't anything you have to manipulate. There isn't any extra thing you have to go study. You can just get it from believing what this book says and building upon that foundation gold, silver, and precious stones. Revelation chapter 3, you don't have to turn to it, talks about the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church, it says, uh, is a church that has need of nothing. It's wretched, it's miserable, it's poor, it's blind. Boy, if that isn't Christianity today, I don't know what is. It's wretched, it says. Sin-wracked, it's miserable, no joy. It's poor, no reward. It's blind, no Bible. And the Bible says it's naked. Judgment seat of Christ. What I've given you today is the true riches that he talks about in Revelation chapter 3. These are the true riches. You get saved. When you get saved, you lay that foundation, which is Jesus Christ. The rest of your Christian life, all we're doing, and we're laborers together. We're wise master builders. All we do is build upon that foundation, gold, getting to know who he is. Silver, getting to know what he did for you. Precious stones, telling somebody else about it. Years ago, General Booth, who started the Great Salvation Army, which for many, many, many years was an unbelievable soul-winning organization that, that took in the, the down and outers and just won thousands of people to Christ, millions of people to Christ. William Booth was a Confederate war, uh, Civil War general, got saved, and went from the Confederate Army to the Salvation Army, got saved and built one of the most tremendous organizations. And I remember reading a story about right before he died. It was Christmas of that year, and every year, all across this country, General Booth would address his people and inspire them of what they'd already done and what they were going to do next year. He had been very sick. In fact, he died just a matter of days after this, this, this day. And that night, all around this country, they were waiting on the radio to hear General Booth and what he had to say. He was so weak, he was so sickly, but yet he was not going to miss the opportunity to speak to his people. And everybody was gathered around their radios, didn't have television back then. They all gathered around their radios waiting, and they entered music come on, and they played you know, some Christian music back in that time and laid the whole thing out, what was going to happen, and they turned it over, and they said, now here's General William Booth. General of the Salvation Army with his message for his people. He only said one word. He was sick. He was weak. He didn't have a lot of energy, but he got out one word. And that one word he said it all. He simply said the word others. 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 That's what it's about. It's about people. It's about people who are hurting today. It's about people who are sad today. It's about people who don't have any direction today. It's about people who want to build a relationship in their family with their wives or their husbands or their children. They want to raise them right. That's what it's about. Judgment seat of Christ. Bible calls it the terror of the Lord. But it doesn't have to be a terror. 
Because very clear and very plainly, it's very simple. It's probably the easiest doctrine in the Bible. When you get saved, you just build three things on that foundation. And there are three things that I'll help you with. Every time we preach, every time we teach, anything we do, my goal is to build on your foundation one of those three things. Gold, who he was. Silver, what he did. Precious stones, other people. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to be finished here in just a moment. I hope that it helped you today. I know that we're all want to have, and I, I can actually say this, I know that for 99.9% .9 of people in this church want to do what's right with the Word of God, if not 100%. I don't know of anybody who doesn't. I'm just leaving a percentage there for somebody. But I know this, I know that it takes just what we talked about this morning. It takes just building on that foundation, learning about Him, learning about what He did, and then naturally it'll come in time that you'll start to tell somebody else about it. But let me ask you a question this morning before we leave and we'll be done here in just a moment. You've heard the message today. I know the Holy Spirit of God has walked up and down these aisles and whatever need you have in your heart today, He's spoken to. For some of you, maybe it's just a need to get closer to Him. For some of you, maybe it's a need to spend more time in His Word or, or really commit yourself to what we talked about today. For some of you, maybe it's to be a better husband or a better wife or be a better parent. But for some of you, maybe it's God spoke to you this morning that if you died right now today, you don't know for sure where you'd go to, if you'd go to heaven or not. But you know what? It's about others. First and foremost, the Bible says that Christ died for you and he died for me. And if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you'd die right now that you'd go to heaven, with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you allow me to pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you make any decision and move this morning, it'll be, it'll be on your own. Nobody will come and get you. Nobody will embarrass you at all. But every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Listen, if God cared enough about you this morning to speak to your heart and you know that he did or he didn't, you care enough about saying, God, I want prayer. I want to know more about what you've done in my heart and my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there a man or a woman that would say, Bob, here's my hand. If I died right now, I'm not sure that I go to heaven. Pray for me. Anybody? We're not going to wait long. Anybody at all? Others. It's about others. It's about men and women lost without Christ and Christ coming to save. And the only reason I can give this invitation this morning is because I know the price that he paid and I know him. And I'm telling you, he is the best friend you'll ever have. He'll stick with you when nobody else will. I promise you. Anybody at all before we pray and close this morning? God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, we do thank you and praise you. And Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you, Father, for, for today. We thank you for your word. And I ask you, Father, to take the word of God now. And Lord, speak to the hearts of these men and women although i don't know their need i don't know where they're at i'm just glad they're here and holy spirit of god i pray today that you'll you'll just do in our hearts what needs to be done i thank you for this young lady that raised her hand lord you know her need i pray father that you'll give her the courage and give her the ability father to to search out her own heart where she's at with the lord and, Lord, if she's not sure, I pray, Father, you'll give her the courage to make sure. We love you so much. And we thank you so much for all that you do for us. And I just pray this morning, Father, that whatever that's said and done, that you'll have the honor and glory.
And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, for his head we, Jesus' name, and for his sake we ask it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to be gone in just a moment here, but let me just ask you this. And again, I wouldn't embarrass you for anything in the world, and all our heads are bowed. No one's looking around just between you and God and me. But maybe you raised your hand and maybe you didn't. <clears throat> but wherever you're at today, <clears throat> if you want to know for sure, if you want to know for sure, and we're not going to wait long. Um, my purpose is not to embarrass anybody about anything. But God spoke to your heart today. We need to take time and deal with that. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure, you can be sure. If you're a young man, I'll have one of my young men. If you're a young lady, I'll have one of my young ladies take the Word of God and, and take you into a private place and show you how you can know and settle that question for sure. All you have to do right now, and we won't wait long, all you have to do right now if you want to know for sure is just to stand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you'll stand up, I'll have one of my young ladies or one of my young men will come and we'll show you how you, how you can be saved. Anybody? Maybe you raised your hand and maybe you didn't. I don't know. But if you want to know right now, would you just stand up? And we'll be done with it. Father, we do thank you again and praise you. And Lord, we do love you. And we thank you for our time today. Thank you for all the visitors. We pray, Father, for our upcoming activity that you'll just give us a great time there. We pray, Father, that everybody here will come and just have a great time of fellowship. And we thank you, Father, for the Word of God. We look forward to Thursday night Bible study and then again next week. And Lord, let these people know if there's anybody here that wants to spend time coming through the Word of God with me that may help them, I'd be glad to help them. And we love you and thank you and praise you now. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you.